0: Turning your Bibles to John 21. We've been in the Gospel of John, John 18 to 21 for Easter week. And uh, next week we're going to start the book of 1 Peter. Uh, I've never preached from that book, and we're calling it uh, uh, Triumphing in Trouble, because the book is certainly about that, and about uh, being elect exiles in a cruel. And sometimes vicious world. And so we'll begin that book next week, the book of First Peter. But we thought we would uh, end in the Gospel of John where he gives us a little insight in an interview Christ gave to Peter. And I think what we want to look at is Christ's words to a defeated man. And I think you've got to get the picture that when you look at the life of a Peter, uh, he was called to follow Christ in Matthew 4. He makes the confession that he is the Christ in Matthew 16. And then we find Christ saying, I'll build my church upon this confession. And uh, Jesus even confronts Christ as, you will not go to the cross. That just cannot happen. Uh, He made a boast that even though all the disciples should flee him, he would not. He made that bold boast. He even said in John 13, "I am willing to lay down my life for you. You can count on me. I am you have finally got a faithful servant. Uh, Jesus says, "You're going to deny me three times before the night's over, Peter, three times." Uh, he goes to sleep in Gethsemane. He didn't pass that test. It's amazing if you don't pass the test of prayer, there's a whole lot of other tests you fail. And uh, when you don't pray it's easy to swing a sword. but this battle's not one with a sword. It's one with people calling on God. Uh, he denies that he knows Christ in front of a fire built. To take the chill off the evening and a young damsel there, she keeps asking him, you're one of them, you know him. Matter of fact, you've got a Galilean accent. Your accent gives you away. Uh, Well, Jesus shows himself to Mary Magdalene and the first disciples to be told happen to be John and Peter. They go to the tomb. What's interesting is you read uh, in Luke, 24, uh, and you read 1 Corinthians 15. Something that you can miss is that Jesus personally showed up just one on one with Peter, probably on several occasions. But even before he shows up in John 20 in the upper room, with well, the door's locked, and he does that twice, and then he shows up here at the Sea of Galilee, uh, he had a private audience somewhere. Along the way, let's pick up the tender, moving narrative of how Jesus talks to a failure. How he talks to a man uh, that boasted great loyalty, but proved to be a total failure in the time of trial. Just like some of us, that we claim great loyalty, but you know those times when you sold him out, and when you caved beneath the pressure. Let us listen to the narrative. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself to Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together, seven altogether. together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. It's interesting that Galilee is about 70 or 80 miles from Jerusalem, so that's a pretty good hike to get to the lake where they had grown up making a living. And they said, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, now remember it's morning. He's in a resurrected body. But even when he walked on the Sea of Galilee, they said, it's a ghost. So they they mistook his. You remember Mary said, it's a gardener. A mistaken identity. Isn't it not amazing that most today can't recognize him? Jesus sees them early in the morning, and he said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. One commentator said if they had, they would have told him how big the fish were. Here it's Kirk, No. No further. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went Aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Can you imagine the resurrected Christ fixing you breakfast? Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so were the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is in John's account, John 20, John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, What will he say to the greatest failure among the disciples? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Follow me. Failure. Failing to obey. What does God do with failure men? What does he do with people who have denied him? People who have uh, fallen into some gross sin, uh, broken maybe marriage vows, No telling what they may have done. Winston Churchill had a great and a succinct statement. I usually keep it on my credential, remind myself. His famous statement was, uh, success is never final, and failure is never fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Success is not final, and failure is not fatal. If you remember in World War I, he had a great uh, Navy debacle in, in the uh, uh, Straits in off of Spain, a great defeat that he bore for the next 40 years as a debuncle. You're supposed to know what you're doing, and he bore it. But if you read William Manchester's book, Alone, he tells, he persevered. And by the time he became prime minister in World War II, he said, I've lived all my life for this moment. I can fight. Where are you in your Christian life? And where has your journey been? Let us look at the tenderness that Christ shows a bunch of men that fled him on the night of his Crucifixion. Let me ask you this. How would you question these men? What would you have to say? I want us to look at four things from the narrative. Four things that I pick up. First thing was, he wasn't doing too good going back. He went back to the old trade. Nothing is said in a condemning way. But when he called Peter, he said, I'm calling you to fish for men, not for fish. I've called you to follow me. You said that way back three and a half years ago. Have you forgotten that, Peter? You've gone back to your old trade. You've gone back to the lake where you made a living. Maybe you assume you can go back and pick up the old trade, the old vocation. And I just want to give you a small indicator. If you don't follow me, you won't know success. They fished all night. These are seasoned men, and they caught nothing. It's like many a believer that has failed miserably, and instead of going on and facing the shame and the rebuke, they want to go back. You can go back, but you're going to come back empty-handed. The nets won't be full. Uh, The business won't be doing too good. Because without the hand of God on you, nothing can succeed. I I want you to get this straight, Jesus said in John 15, the branch and the vine. Without me, you can do some things. Three of you read your Bible. (laughs) Without me, you cannot do a thing. And you independent braggadocious, boastful man, go back. How's fishing doing, Peter? You remember in Luke 5, he also came to Peter one day and not catching any fish. And then he told him where to cast his nets, and the nets all broke. They caught so many fish. Nets begin to break. And Peter proclaimed right then, I am a great sinner. What are you doing dealing with me? I must be with a miracle worker. You are, Peter. I'm revealed at my depravity, and I am a sinful man. What do you have to do with me? I'm calling you to a new vocation. I'm calling you to a new walk. And so that in the narrative, uh, he seemed to be right back where Jesus had started with him. Because in his failure, he went back to what he's familiar with. I can fish. You can fish, but you can't catch anything. You can fish, but you're coming up empty-handed. I think the second thing is how Jesus interviews this man. Second point is he goes to Peter without reminding him of his failure in the past. Clarence McCartney, famous uh, Presbyterian preacher, wrote, wrote this When the meal was over, Jesus turned to Peter and said, What? How could you have denied me? Why did you bail out? There's no excuse. And begin to give him a good lecture for being a coward and a bailout. It never comes up. You would think Jesus didn't even know what happened. He never even brings it up. Come on, Jesus, give him a lecture. Call him a coward. Call him something. Surely you can't work any longer with this guy. He has blown it. This guy is going to leave the apostolic band? You've got to be kidding. We wouldn't vote him in as pastor. I'm glad you didn't interview Peter. Because with some people, you can never be forgiven. With some people, you've never got over your grudge bearing. It's terrible the amount of grudge bearing I've seen in churches. People that are the biggest forgiven sinners in the church, I've seen them when somebody else falls, there's not an ounce of forgiveness. You know better. You should not. I will never trust you again. so what? So what? Who said your endorsement makes or breaks a man? If God can forgive you, you're forgiven. If God's willing to put it away, it's put away. But here he comes. This is the time to give him a lecture on faithfulness. Uh, I told you you wouldn't pray in the garden. just, just, Just pray with me and you can't stay awake. And then you made the boast in the upper room. I didn't tell you to do I, I Even if all these men, he said it in Matthew and he said it in John, though all these other 11 bimbos, of course, you're going to eliminate Judas, these other 10 guys, none of them have the loyalty I have for you. None will go as far as you. And that's why he asked him the first time, do you love me more than these? Not the nets, but the other disciples. Be interesting. Are you as faithful as other believers to the Lord Jesus? He uh, never brings up just a great breakfast. I want to talk to you. Well, please, do I have the scarlet letter on me? Am I marked forever by my failure? Obviously not with Jesus. Because what I think happened, and I'm speculating, that if he'd met with Christ on other times, just Peter and him, according to Paul's account in 1 Corinthians, I think at that point it's where Peter asked for forgiveness and that Peter was restored, no doubt, to the Lord. I'm sure he shed abundant amount of tears. But you know what? Could my tears forever flow? These for sin cannot atone. He didn't say you had to cry. He said you just had to tell him, I've blown it. I messed up. Have you ever messed up since you've been a believer? (laughs) I hear you, loud and clear. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the issue. You know, I've seen people, I did that when I was unsaved. You'd be amazed at how much messing up you can do as a saved person, saved person. I I knew better, but I did it. I knew better. And every time I come back, he seems to bring up not my sin, but his cross work, and then he continues his interview in my life. I must say to some of you, you've never forgiven yourself Because the devil will be there to remind you the rest of your life of those unfaithful moments, those unfaithful times. Just between you and the Lord, you know. You know. And uh, it's amazing. I've met with people before and said, hey, hey, let's go on, let's go on. And they keep reminding me of how bad they were, how bad they were, how bad they were. There's a song that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Did he pay for it? Until that's settled in your mind, you can't go on. You cannot go unless you know you've been forgiven. And Jesus comes in tenderness, and he talks, talks to this man. He acts like he loves him. He acts like he wants a relationship. You know, it's people who've done great sins. I think of Mel Trotter, a famous uh, evangelist in Chicago, helped to found the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. And when he was, uh, before he was saved, he was a drunk on the streets of Chicago and a rather vile man. And Mel Trotter, in his testimony, tells, I was so bad that when my darling girl died and I went to the mortuary to see her. I was such an alcoholic that I had everybody leave the room so I could steal her shoes while in the coffin. And I went out and bought a bottle of wine after I left the mortuary. He said, that's how far I had gone. Or be a man like a John Newton, who was a vile boy at 14, a reprobate. He was kicked off of one British ship after another because he caused dissension. He was vulgar. He was vile. He was uh, unruly. And so dropped on one ship after another in the British Navy. Finally, he got his own ship. And of all places, where does he wind up in? But the slave trade coming out of Africa, Caribbean, the Triangle. In his own biography, the vileness of the man is terrible. How he abused these people. How he mistreated them. How he did that. he finally, when he became a believer, joined forces with William Wilberforce to end the slave trade in Africa. But he wrote, some songwriters have revamped it. He wrote, amazing grace has saved a wretch like me. He didn't say a sinner like me. He said a wretch. He knows, and he knew how bad and vile a man he was, raping slaves, throwing men overboard. How could he ever be forgiven? How could he ever preach the grace of God that saves sinners? Well, God is a friend of sinners. He knows how to save even vile men. And he wrote it in tribute to the the grace that taught him to fear was the grace that taught relieved his fears. Amen. A great, great Savior. He goes from uh, this kind interview in which nothing uh, of his past in the last 40 days is brought up. And, and I think, Jesus, you missed a golden opportunity. I, I heard some men some, one time say to a forgiven sinner, and they said, and we will only forgive you if you can promise us you will never do it again. And as the forgiven sinner said, I can't promise you a loyalty that I've already blown. I only know I need forgiveness, and I will pick up from there. He is asked a question by Jesus that I think he's asking every one of you. Your future is dependent on how you answer his question. Peter Do you love me more than these men? And when he answered, he would not include more than these. He didn't go there. He just said, Lord, you know I do love you. Now, I ask you this question. Now, now this is hard on you. It's hard on Pharisees. Uh, Can you love Jesus and fail him? Take a vote? Can you fail Jesus and be his follower? Can you get forgiven by those that you sin among? Yeah, yeah. You better not be a pastor. Because any sin they do is quadruple as bad. If a pastor sinned, is there anybody here that would love them enough to restore them? Jesus would. Jesus loves you whether you're a pastor or not. You're his child. You're his child. He said, if you love me, Peter, uh, the first word he says, Would you take care of my baby lambs? That's the word. It's a diminutive use of the word. Would you take care of the baby lambs? New believers. Man, that's that's quite an assignment for a fisherman. I've only handled sardines. (laughs) I've never handled sheep. Uh, I'm calling you. I told you I'm calling you away from the fishing business. I'm calling you to take care of my people. Do you love me second time? Yeah, I love you. Now, some make a big to-do over phileo and agape, the interchange. Uh, They're probably close to being synonymous. They're used synonymously in the book of John. So it doesn't matter. It's not a greater degree or not. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Third time. He's grieved. And he said, God, the answer's with you. You've got the answer. I'm not even sure I can answer yes unless you see it. And I think that's the greatest question you have to answer today. Your future is going to ride on it. If you don't love him, you won't follow him. And if you don't love him, I see so many times how we beg people to serve in the body of Christ. You know, the problem is not your service, but your lack of love. And yet, First Corinthians says, you can have all the charisma in the world. You can speak with the men, tongues of men and angels, and you can offer your body to be a, a martyr, and you can do all that without love. So just like some of you, you're in the church rut. You're in the rut. You don't necessarily love this God, but you've got in the habit of going to church. You, you, you're not available to serve, uh, and you say that honestly. I, I just attend, and it better be good. Service better not be long. Where did you get all that? See, some of us were born again in an environment we couldn't get enough church. We went practically every night. We this see, there's a two things. With some people, church is a part of their life. With others, it is their life. Yes, sir. And uh, I'm amazed at how much church going I did before I was ever a pastor. Because we couldn't get enough. Do you remember ever being that way? You couldn't get enough of His Word. You couldn't get enough of worship scene. You couldn't be with the saints enough. And all of a sudden, uh, the glow, the zeal, the first love all evaporate, and now it's a rut, a routine, and the romance is left. You live in the same house with her. You share the same bed, but you don't talk. You don't share life together because you've really fallen out of love, but I'm stuck with them. It's cheaper than a divorce. We have to split up the property if we get a divorce. Why don't we learn to endure each other in the meantime? God knows if you've divorced him. Do you love me, Peter? Your future rides on that. And your future is simply two things. If you love me, if you can answer that, and only you and God can He just said two things. Feed, care for my people. That shouldn't be too hard. Should it? Do you want to be cared for? You know what some of you need? You need to get so deathly sick, you got to go to the hospital. That'll make you appreciate people. Even a little nurse. Just hit that buzzer. And between you and a drink. Not been there. I've got an African-American woman named Priscilla. I look her up every time I go to Oakland Kaiser because Priscilla took care of me in orthopedics when I had my back operated on. And Priscilla became an angel to me. And all she did is she took me serious. She brought me the water. She held my hand. And she just kept telling me, you're going to make it. How can we act like we don't need people? And how do we think that they don't need you? Do you take care of his people on any level? He said, it's the outgrowth of loving him. And finally, he said, your future is to follow me and to quit worrying about the rest of the guys. He gets all of a sudden concerned about John. What's going to happen to John? And he basically says, that's none of your business. And John, you know, is the only one that doesn't die a martyr's death. Peter dies a martyr's death in the city of Rome, crucified upside down. Every man in that, out there on that fishing trip is going to die a martyr, except for John, the writer of the book. I ask you some questions. Are your past failures keeping you from going on? Keeping you from serving Christ? Past misunderstandings, past whatever. It's amazing how you can get hurt in church work. I'm somebody looked crooked at me. Somebody didn't appreciate me. Somebody this or that. Uh, Who are you serving? I asked, I said, who are you serving? Uh, are all the uh, the, approve, the approval of men or the approval of, God. did you know what? Someday you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And I wonder if he'll ask us again, by the way, Philip, did you love me in doing all that? You pastored, you preached, you did this. I didn't ask you if you did that. I just wondered, did you love me while you were doing it? You, you're, you fought with everybody about doctrine. You're all straight on doctrine. You were straight on this and you were straight on that. You're just not straight on me. I want you to love me. That's all I'm asking. Do you love me? And if you love me, I've got some people somewhere, might be a third grade Sunday school class that may be s- visiting seniors who are sick and need someone just to visit them. On and on it goes. Just follow me, Peter. Don't worry about the loyalty of the rest of the men. Are you following? Your future is determined by that question. Are you a backslider? You blew it so bad you don't think there's a future? You've got a future if this morning you could say, Jesus, I haven't loved you in the past, but I want to love you in the present. You know my heart. I make no bold claims. I don't make claims. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake. No, I can't do that. I just say I want to love you and take it a day at a time. I would ask you this question. If you say you love the Lord, what keeps you from ministering to people on any level? Encouragement card, some form of service. It, it breaks out in a thousand different ways. Uh, I know some people, that, they can't say they love Jesus because they're still mad at him. You didn't give me the person I wanted to marry. Some are saying you gave me the wrong person. Uh, you didn't do this. You didn't do, uh, you won't let me mold you in my image. You're not the kind of God I like. I know met a lot of believers mad at God. They think it's their privilege. I'm angry with God. I, w- I don't believe, I, I don't think a God that lets uh, tsunamis come and drown innocent people. I don't want a God like that. What kind do you want? You want one you make in your own image? If you made one in your own image, he couldn't save you. You'd only make a benevolent Santa Claus. And you would become God. Are you mad at God? You done with God? Or I'll never I'll never trust again. That church hurt me. That Sunday school class hurt me. This hurt me. Somebody hurt me. Somebody. I I, read, I was wounded. You most likely will be wounded. You're a good target if you're willing to get involved. If you want to, though, you can die, die at the lake with your nets, just being out there on your own 80 miles out of Jerusalem, and I won't be there when the Spirit comes, and I won't be there for the day of Pentecost. I'm going to be out of the game, but nobody could ever dream that this man being interviewed would preach maybe the most powerful sermon in the Christian era in just a matter of about 30 days from now. He's going to preach on the day of Pentecost and his first sermon sees 3,000 saved. 3,000 in a day. I'd like to say this if you've uh, if you failed in bad if you uh, are out of pocket and you've gone back, there is no one like Jesus to restore Amen. the fallen. I, I want to close with a rhyme that was written on the theme, stand where you are. It says, start where you stand and never mind the past. The past won't help you in beginning new. If you are done with it at last, why, that's enough. You're done with it. You're through. This is another chapter in the book. This is another race that you have planned. Don't give the vanished days a backward look. Start where you stand today. The world won't care about your old defeats if you can start anew and win success. The future is your time, and time is fleet, and there is much of work and strain and stress. Forget the buried woes and dead despairs. Here is a brand new trial right at hand. The future is for him who does and dares stand and start where you stand. Old failures will not halt, old triumphs aid. Today's the thing. Tomorrow soon will be. Get in the fight and face it unafraid and leave the past to ancient history. What has been has been. Yesterday is dead. And by it you are neither blessed nor banned. Take courage, man. Be brave and drive ahead. Start where you stand. Today, I ask you in the name of Jesus, first of all, have you been forgiven? And you are, if you've gone to him and asked for it. And two, right now, your future rides on the answer to this question. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't care, vocationally. I think the rest of the happiness you'll ever know in this life Rides on the answer to that question. Is he worth loving for the rest of your life? That's the question you must answer. Our Father, I pray for broken, failing saints. (coughs) They've either become bitter, become angry, uh, disengaged, uh, disheartened only you know the various heart conditions that can be set as yeah, yeah. I pray for those that have dropped out of the race that you would restore them and meet them by their sea of Galilee yeah. and do that tender interview I don't want to remind you of your failure I just want to ask you do you love me the one you betrayed, the one you denied, you denied me three times. I ask you three times, do you love me? I don't know what more you could do, Jesus, to get us to love you. But our love is so fickle, so weak, so. Uh, uh, it's like the mist. It's here, then it's gone. I pray, restore the fallen, restore those who think they have no future, let them know their future is dependent on their present. Do you love him? Do you trust him? Do you want him? Do you want him? We want you, Lord. I want to want you. I need to need you. I desire to desire you. I pray, restores, everyone, to do your will. Feed your sheep and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.